0: The Leftovers, Season 2, Episode 2, A Matter of Geography, is over, and now it is time for A Matter of Podcasting here on Post Show Recaps, The Leftovers on Post Show Recaps. I'm Josh Wiggler, and Antonio Mazzaro, let's go make a family together. Let's do this.
1: Are you ready to do this? Show? That would be
0: a miracle, I think. Yeah, I think it would be a miracle. I, do you think that the adoption process is going to be difficult? It seems pretty easy on the show. Yeah, I think they're just throwing babies at people. They're it throwing, pretty literally, far. this guy was like, could you
1: take this baby, too? Why do you think that is? Do you think that's because parents just de- departed and left? children and they have a a lot of babies that need to be adopted as a result
0: but that baby would have had to have remained a baby for all these years since the sudden departure
1: yeah that's why it doesn't make a lot of sense to me i don't understand why they're just throwing babies around but hey whatever
0: like you don't have an updated baby pick
1: Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Like, yeah, this is the social media age. We got to update that baby pic.
0: That was a very intense moment. I didn't know how that was going to play out. The guy was really stern and serious, and then he was just like, "Hey, have an extra baby." And they're like, eh, we're good. Just the one is great."
1: (laughs) Do you want two? Because everything I'm hearing makes me sound like you should have more than one baby. (laughs) Yeah, but two is better than one. Right. You don't have a friend. It's like when you take a. It's like when you take a cat in. You know, you probably want to get a second cat for that first one.
0: Typically, typically you do. Unless I don't know, the cats don't always get along. It's not a. It's not a one for one.
1: Tell me how. me how that works in the wiggler fox household
0: uh, we've got two cats they know each other they've known each other forever uh they're not brother and sister pardo is fat and old bella is skinny and old and she hates him and he's kind of just like why do you hate me so much is it because i eat all your food all the time that's not that's probably not a great match not that, a great match that's She's probably great- why big fat dumb old cat he's great he's awesome but let's not talk about cats let's talk about the leftovers we'll probably talk about dogs at some point i'm sure given the way that this episode played out and given the fact that dogs are always prominent on yeah. leftovers but here we are two episodes deep leftover season two a matter of geography this is the kevin garvey episode we got to meet the garveys all over again the new garvey family how are you feeling about leftover season two after two episodes
1: i feel good i i love this show i think it's i'm constantly enthralled by the show it I don't know. We didn't get. We got one big honking mystery here uh, near the end of the episode. But actually, as far as it goes, we got a lot more uh, kind of information. I think we learned a little bit more about Jarden. I thought that was probably the most fantastic sequence of the episode: the arrival into Jarden, into Miracle uh, National Park, and uh, just seeing it through outsiders' eyes, which we didn't do in the first episode. Uh, So I thought that that whole bit was great and fantastic. Yeah, Um, and really more in line with season two. The, The stuff that went before. Before that was a lot of kind of season one. We had Kevin's dad showing up. We had, unfortunately, uh, uh, for Kevin especially, Patty showing up. Yeah, uh, both alive, uh, both in talking and in corpse form. So that was very interesting, and uh, I, I love the music as usual. I I think the show is uh, is is just fascinating to watch and talk about. But where it's going, I could I could not tell you
0: yeah yeah a lot a lot going on I think that we'll we'll unpack that hopefully we'll have a few ideas about where this might be going by the time we're done with this podcast if you guys are just tuning in we're podcasting about the leftovers every single week Uh, poster recaps.com slash leftovers iTunes is the way to subscribe to that Antonio and I recapped all of season one we're going to be doing the same thing for season two season two off to I think a really terrific start I thought this was another really awesome episode really liked getting reacquainted with Kevin really fun to see Nora in her happy place and jill kind of in her happy place but who knows how long this is going to be a happy place for because obviously by the end of this thing it was grim as usual and as you said this was kind of a little bit of leftover season one but it did feel like sort of in a way an epilogue to a lot of that stuff it kind of felt like goodbye mapleton i don't know if i'm gonna see you again
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that that's true. I, I don't, if, if that's where we leave Jill and her mother, that's rough, man. Yeah, (laughs) that's rough. If we don't see that.
0: I think that we'll see Tommy and the mom again. I think that we will see Jill's mother again. Uh, I just don't think that we're going to see them in Mapleton. I mean, maybe they've got some Mapleton business themselves to wrap up, but I think everybody's coming to Miracle.
1: Oh, you think Tommy and, and Mommy are coming to Miracle?
0: Well, I gotta imagine that's how we're gonna get them. I think that the show is all in on Miracle these days. Uh, I think that, I, I think we've got Patty in Miracle, obviously because she's a tag along with Kevin. I think that that's how we'll get these people back in the mix. I think that there's gonna be some sort of convergence coming in Texas.
1: Are we gonna get the, uh, the Frost twins coming in too? No! That's get too them bad. out of here! I'm no. done
0: with the Frost twins. I, I had almost completely forgotten about the Frost twins until you just said their name.
1: I like the Frost twins. <laughs> I know you. I don't see them. Jack, uh, Jack and Jill, Jack and John Frost or whatever. Jack and
0: Jill are. Frost. Yeah. I don't know what their names are. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. I,
1: I mean, I'm glad that we're kind of converging this harmonic convergence into uh, Miracle. I think it's a really interesting and fascinating kind of thing to look at because it, I don't know if you noticed, and this isn't really jumping ahead, but if you read the fine print as you're in the Miracle Visitor Center, the belief is truly that the fact that no one departed from Miracle is not a statistical anomaly. It's a statistical impossibility. Yeah. And that it's is. like
0: a, It was, a, I think that there was, there was some in like the exhibit. Yes. There's some, there's some text in there and it says something like one in way more than a trillion. Some yeah. number that I can't even fathom.
1: Yeah. Yeah, some, some number that is unfathomable, really, and a word that I'd never heard before. Exactly. Uh, to describe a number. So, yeah, it, and they said it was determined statistically that it, it's impossible that that happened. And so that just, that, that alone is a great premise for what they're doing. And I think it gives this show some life and some legs. And I think that it's sort of fascinating to find out how that impacts every aspect of life. In Jarden, uh, within Miracle National Park. And I think we can uh, we can talk about some of the things as we will in this episode that played into that. We talked a lot about that last week, of course, uh, and it really is now all centering around the disappearance of these three girls, uh, but also what the hell was going on with Kevin. So we'll get into that
0: yeah we need to talk about Kevin. Let's talk about it right away I mean we we start the episode with the scene from last season where Nora finds holy Wayne's baby on the doorstep as we know her name will be Lily, thankfully not baby Wayne. We're not going to be calling her baby Wayne moving forward. Why not?
1: <laughs> well, we can if you'd like. I mean on this I, podcast, we can call her whatever
0: we want yeah the the more I think about it, the more I kind of actually do take baby Wayne so if she finds baby Wayne, baby Lily Wayne. She finds her at the doorstep. We get a little bit of a conversation of what to do with this baby. We want to keep the baby. But Kevin is saying, eh, but we don't really know each other. And Nora's like, all right, well, what do I need to know? And Kevin says, well, I killed somebody, or at least I buried a body. And he just comes right out and says the whole Patty thing. And Nora takes it very well.
1: Yeah. Yeah surprisingly well well that's because she has a little secret of her own josh
0: yeah i hired prostitutes to shoot me though (laughs) is a lot smaller i think than i buried a body i watched a woman kill herself and then i called your brother to help me bury her body
1: yeah well I, i mean i think it's uh You'd think that, you'd like to think that that was a load off of Kevin's mind, that he really got it off his chest and that helped him out. And that this is sort of this uh, confession almost. Like, this is what happened. Like, uh, we're going to confess our sins to each other and talk about all the weird shit that we do. This is like, like beyond third date stuff. You know what I mean? Like, this is the weirdest thing about me. Uh, but he's not really telling her the whole, whole, whole truth. And he's holding that away from her even later into this episode when she says, whatever you have, I can, I can deal with it. He doesn't tell her. So, even though he's willing to tell her in this moment that he buried this body and covered it up, he, 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 can't, he doesn't get rid of anything by doing it, really. It's sort of just like this uh, fleeting moment of clarity in the relationship that does definitely dissipate pretty quickly for Kevin, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, unfortunately. And I think you bring up an interesting point and we are jumping ahead a little bit, but he doesn't, he doesn't reveal the whole thing. He doesn't say like, he says, I sleepwalk. I walk in my sleep. That's why I was on meds. I I stopped taking the meds. I thought that would be the end. And then this whole Patty thing happened, but he doesn't go on to say like, and she's still here. She lives in my brain. There's some sort of Tyler Durden, you know, where is my mind nonsense going on here? (laughs) And she is somebody who says, I can handle anything, and he still won't throw that at her. So I think that that's a really interesting development.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I... I think that we have to really i mean that 's kind of a centerpiece of this episode kevin 's visions of Patty, if you will, and where those are coming from and what they mean, uh, and whether they 're similar to what was happening with his dad or not, and do they make him a crazy person right do they make him a shaman, do they make him some kind of spiritual leader, a prophet, if you will or, or or is he just nuts, and has he inherited that from his crazy dad and I mean that really touches on a lot of the central questions of this show i mean that that's that was one of the things that played out throughout the course. Of the first season with Kevin, he's seeing these th- weird things that are happening. We talked about one of our favorite characters, the BBA, uh, the big bald a hole.
0: Yeah, uh, where is the BBA? The BBA? Oh,
1: apparently everything's coming to Miracle, Josh. So we're yeah, gonna, just so. going to traipse in from the woods one episode, probably. The BBM. The big BM, the big the, the big bald Miracle.
0: <laughs> That's what I was not <laughs> thinking, but let's let's stay away from what I was thinking.
1: Okay, I don't. I'm not sure what you were thinking. The okay, big, it's cool. the the big BM is that stop all? Stop it! Stop. But anyway, um, no, I think that, uh, I think that show is called Entourage. Um, what I was going to say is that, uh, is that it's interesting that this has kind of been the central Kevin Garvey conflict from the beginning. And you can take the man out of, uh, out of Mapleton, but you can't take the craziness away. He, there's no geographic solution uh, to fixing this problem. But I
0: thought it was a matter of geography.
1: I mean, and it really isn't. It does not appear to be a matter of geography with Kevin. He's yeah. crazy and screwed up and carrying these ghosts around literally no matter where he is. And yeah. so we're going to really have to figure this out, Kevin. We're going to really have to figure this out because it's because where you end up at the the end of the first episode, if you don't figure this out, Kevin, is you end up with a cinder block tied to your ankle (laughs) in a body of water, clearly intending to be dead, either by suicide or someone else's hand. That's not a good deal.
0: Yeah, what do you think's going on with that? I know we're skipping around a little bit, but I really want to hit on that right now. We, we end the episode the way that we ended the first episode of the season, except from Kevin's perspective. And apparently he's in the lake as well when, um, when John shows up and, and goes calling out for Evie. Uh, he wakes up in the middle of the dried out lake. Uh, covered in in dirt and terrible stuff, and he's got this cinder block tied to his ankle. Is this something that Patty, as Kevin, tried to pull off? Did Kevin get himself into some other kind of trouble? What do you think is going on there?
1: I think that's probably – that's the most likely explanation, right? is that he tried to kill himself uh, with Patty's guidance or to get away from Patty. I don't think that he's, lay, he's laying in bed. It's late at night. The The birthday party is over. So we know it's fairly late at night. And we, didn't, we know the earthquake happened in the middle of the night. But he. I don't know at during that time period, from the time he lays in bed to when he wakes up, I don't know how he has any opportunity to make an enemy that's going to try to kill him uh, like that. I think that it has to be self-inflicted in, in a certain respect. I, I really do think that that's either I, I did this to myself – Uh, Or I, or I, you know, somebody told me to do it uh, and I thought it might make sense. I just really think that that's where we're going to come down on this with Kevin. I think it's a Patty influence thing, whether it's to try to get away from Patty or because she told
0: him to do it, I don't know. Any chance that it's the the stranger that Kevin meets at the Welcome Center, the guy who says like I can help you with your situation? Who's the guy we saw in in the the premiere as well? He's uh, he's the guy that uh, that John's son. I forget John's son's name off the top. Of my I think head. his name is Michael. Michael. Yeah, he's the guy that Michael goes to visit to to go and pray with him. Um, so do you think that this guy could he be involved in this somehow?
1: Possibly. I don't know. Uh, I I feel like that guy. Um, a lot of people are speculating that that's, that's, uh, that's either John or Erica's father. Uh, that he has some mystical power or belief, and that has put him at odds with uh, John, who seems Ooh, to be like this that. anti-magic squad. And Michael's kind of the bridge, and maybe he's not supposed to be praying with him, but he's going out there to visit a relative. Maybe it's not a grandfather; could be an uncle, could be something like that. But a lot of people on, on especially on Reddit, are speculating about that. And uh, if you don't use Reddit, um, it's great, but the leftover subreddit is especially very good because this is a show. Uh, where there's a lot of debate going on about a lot of the issues and there's so much, um, in terms of the show's mythos and the things that the show's really covering that it's a really kind of, uh, great place to, to, Kick your leftovers theories around and get uh, get inspiration for other theories as people are introducing ideas. And so, a lot of people there are speculating that maybe that this is a uh, this is a relative of the Garveys and or not the Garveys the Murphys. And I don't know. I think that that's possible. Uh, I seem.
0: I like that. I think that's cool.
1: I, I also saw like a comparison to maybe like the Wizard of Oz. Like he's kind of like the actual wizard living in this weird little trailer outside of town, uh, and maybe he has um, some kind of connection to something uh, directly or indirectly. I don't. Know know but uh, I do think that that's all very interesting um and I don't know I don't know we i, I we can get into a discussion of whether kevin is is more shaman or prophet like and if so, if this guy maybe is in tune with that um but i I think that I don't think he's a malevolent force let's put it that way I don't think he's the kind of person that puts a cinder block around someone's ankle and throws them into a uh Body of water. I don't. I don't think you do that. By the way, with, with someone who's alive, I think you. I think if you want to drown somebody, that's fine. You do that with someone who's alive. You don't do it with someone who's dead. So if you are willing to tie a cinder block around their ankle and throw them into water, why don't you just kill them? Like I don't understand. If you are able to put the cinder block around their ankle, why don't you just kill them? Like
0: I don't. You question, you question the strategy.
1: Yeah, that's dumb strategy. I think that's more the thing that you would do to yourself if you wanted to make sure that it, it took. Um, you would tie the block around your own ankle and throw
0: yourself in the water. To the bba yeah uh, bba the bba bba came back bba is in cahoots with ghost patty and tossed him in yeah because
1: okay. he's pissed that kevin didn't kill that dog
0: yeah yeah he's really mad about that yep, yep. maybe should it should kill the dog uh, what if the bba comes in and kills all the dogs that are in quarantine uh, wh- that's weird because
1: none of those dogs in quarantine were crazy they were all very docile. Well, and,
0: we've, we've seen what crazy animals have done on the leftovers before. Maybe they're putting them through the screening process so that when they come to Miracle, they're going to be awesome dogs. Maybe.
1: Uh, and I thought, you know, well, it would make sense that none of the dogs within Miracle were crazy uh, because I think they speculated last season, there was speculation that part of the reason the dogs were crazy is because they had witnessed a departure and specifically just gone feral because right. not all dogs were crazy, only dogs that may have witnessed something. And so I don't know if that's if if in Miracle, of course, within Miracle, there were no departures. So the dogs wouldn't have gone crazy. But those were dogs in quarantine, which meant that they were coming from people outside of Miracle, likely people who lost someone. Uh, and so I'm surprised there weren't more crazy dogs in there.
0: Yeah, not enough crazy dogs. I, re- I I don't want to get too hung up on it now, but I really like this theory that The Stranger is John Murphy's dad because we were talking about this in the in the premiere podcast. We were talking about how the Murphys are kind of analogs for the Garveys in a lot of ways. There's mirror images going on there, and I think it would be a very cool twist to have this guy be John Murphy's father and have that dynamic in place the way that there's a Kevin Garvey Sr. with Kevin Garvey. We'll get into Kevin Garvey Sr. in this episode. So I like that theory. I think that's really good. Yeah, I think that's fun yeah. stuff.
1: There's definitely a possibility there. I mean, yeah. I, you have to be careful with that because you don't want to say, oh, they're both African-Americans, so they're obviously related. Sure, uh, That sure. would be a horrible thing for people to assume, uh, but I think the idea— I think that there's cool storytelling reasons. That's the that, main people. reason for it, yes. Okay. There is a great reason for this connection uh, from a storytelling perspective, and that's why I'd like to see it for sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's get into this. Adoption time. We actually adopt the baby. It goes pretty well.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's swimmingly, in fact. It's so swimmingly that they're, they're just handing out babies left and right here.
0: Handing out babies left and right. Uh, I know you're not a big baby guy, Antonio. Yeah, you're right about that. You're not a big baby guy. How do you feel about baby Wayne? Do you like baby Wayne? I feel like baby Wayne's really cute. Lily Wayne? Um,
1: cute baby. Uh, I'm not saying babies aren't and can't be cute. But uh, the the crying of Lily Wayne, uh, and mainly my my issue would be with Kevin, not with the baby. Uh, yeah. That that's really where what gets my goat. And uh, Kevin's just you know taking the baby to the laundromat and letting it cry its eyes out, where he just puts the headphones on and ignores it. That's the exact problem that I have with uh, with babies is that. It's mostly with the people who own babies. The parenting. The parenting. Same issue I have with dogs, to
0: be perfectly honest. it's The parenting. Yes, the Um, parenting. You know what issue I had? I agree with all of that. What I really took some some problems with was Kevin Garvey driving around all over the place with both earbuds in. That seems dangerous.
1: Is that, that not something we do? Is that something you do? I'm I'm, maybe from time to
0: time. Antonio, that's dangerous. You have to be able to listen to the road, the sounds of the road. The the, the hum, the dull hum of the... This is why your vehicle has speakers. Oh, that is, is that, That's I don't know. That's why. It's so you don't have to shove crap in your ears and not hear what's happening and get T-boned by another vehicle. It's so hard because you, you're listening to
1: a great podcast like this one, right? And uh-huh. then you get out of the car and then the podcast stops, but you can carry your phone with you and take Man. it into the place you're going, but you need headphones to do that. So why don't All you right. just leave them on?
0: Well, you're more familiar with driving etiquette than I am. You You live in a place where you drive around a lot. I live in New York City. There's a lot of train action going on, so I can't really be the authority on this, but it's It seemed dangerous to me. It is dangerous. I was not a fan of this. I thought this was very dangerous. Yeah, it's illegal. It's illegal. 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 Um, What's also strange in terms of legalities, and maybe you can talk me through this, is Kevin unburies Patty. He intentionally gets pulled over. First thing he says, there's a body in the back of my truck. He gets arrested, and it's totally fine. He just walks away. How does that play out? Why is he being allowed to walk away from this whole Patty thing?
1: Well, that's a good question. And, I I mean, you have to ask yourself, like, how much of that was was real? Like, how much of that actually happened? Um, And I, I don't know the answer to that. I think that we're meant to believe that it did happen and that it is real that he was really haunted by the guilt, speaking of guilty remnant, of of what he he did in covering up this action. He wants to be caught. He drives in front of the cop. He gets himself caught. He tells the cop the body is there. And then he meets up with this fantastic police officer who has an eye patch on. Uh, and he she basically says, like, I don't care about her. Like, we identified who she was. She was a leader of that stupid cult. Like, I don't care about her. Like, I, I don't have a problem with this. Do you want to blow your life up? Do you yeah. want to ruin your life because this person killed herself in front of you? No? Fine. Then let's move on. And I do think that there is some aspect of uh, just total disdain for the people in the Guilty Remnant. And I think that that plays – we, we saw a little bit of that in Season 1 where these people who are kind of in the – the, uh, I think it was the, uh, the ATF had become like an ATF, like a cult task force as well. And they just wanted to murder them all. Like right. they, they wanted to blow them all up and erase them off the map and be done with it. So I do think there is some disdain for these and because they were living trolls, the guilty remnant, right? Like their whole job was just to annoy people and yep. to make people angry. And so I think they're basically the worst. Yeah. Basically the worst people. And so I do think that there is some disdain for her for that reason. And I think at least on the surface, that is a good enough reason why, uh, why this happened. Are, are you on board with that being a surface explanation?
0: Yeah, I think so. There is some sense that this woman is giving like the tacit approval of like, did you do this? Because if so, you know, kind of thumbs up. Like, I wish that I had done it. Yeah. Uh, But even more so, it's just like, whatever. Just go live your life. Obviously, you're a good dude and you've gotten some weird shit and you can just go do your thing. Uh, It's a guilty remnant. I'm not losing much sleep over it. Certainly not losing my other eye over it. What do you think happened with that eye, Josh? I don't know. Because I
1: wonder if we'll ever find out. Probably she not. Said, she said, like, hey, uh, uh, you know, don't you want to ask? Yeah, don't you want to ask me about my eye? There was a funny theory on Reddit that uh, maybe she had had an eye transplant, and it was from someone who had departed, and the eye departed, therefore, on the departure day. I don't know. Oh, weird. What a concept. Like, I don't know. Do yeah. All,
0: the, all these, like, organ transplants just vanish as well?
1: Yeah, because I don't know how that works, because if you donate an eye, that's you're probably not alive. It's not like a kidney, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I guess we wouldn't have heard that detail just because it wouldn't have come up yet on the show if something like that were the case if like original body parts of people who suddenly vanish just disappear as well that's an amazing concept though
1: well the thing is uh, people don't know like and this is one of the uh, one of the great scenes in this episode i thought we it's the title of the episode uh and we have these these people from mit come in i don't want to jump too far ahead here no no uh, we're
0: right at that but point we're
1: basically it. right at that point right and so uh, they don't know like the geographic explanation, I don't buy it because Kevin was literally um, in flagrante delecto. Uh, he was in the middle of a sexual act with someone who departed. Is that
0: what that means? I,
1: uh, basically, I mean, okay. like in that in that uh, in that context, yes. Uh, and and the the baby was literally inside uh, of. Uh, Amy Brenneman's character of Kevin's wife. So it's like if you if the baby's literally inside of her and disappears, then she's occupying the exact same geography. Right. So I don't I mean, people are grasping at straws and paying huge amounts of money to try to find any information about this departure. I don't know. What did you think of that scene? There was one really kind of key element of it to me, at least.
0: Alright, well I'll just I'll speak to it broadly because I I the same thing that was coursing through my head is the same thing that was questioning through uh that was going through Michael Osiello at TV Lions Head. He had a chance to sit down with Damon Lindelof after the episode and ask him some questions, and his question was the MIT students gave Nora hope that there may be a scientific explanation behind the sudden departure. I read that as Damon is going to give us an answer to the question he said he'd never answer. And I was thinking the same thing, this kind of idea of well, the show, the showrunners, Lindelof, you know, he keeps saying, we're not going to answer this big question. We're not going to answer this big question. And then on the show, you have the question being brought up as a possibly answerable thing. Um, Lindelof's explanation for that is that was not our intention. Tom Parada and I have been very clear about the fact that the show is never going to answer where these people went or why them. But we did start to realize that the characters on the show don't know that we're saying that. And so aren't we cheating by not having some characters on the show say, hey, we're still looking, because they would be. You and I are never going to get the answer as long as we're alive to what happens when you die. The same is true of The Departure. But that doesn't mean people don't spend their entire lives investigating what happens or adopting a belief system. So the MIT guys are approaching it from the scientific route of, we believe that your family disappeared from this table because there's something happening in this room radiation-wise. And even if their data supported that, it's still not going to answer where they went. It will just answer... Why them? So I like this idea of, like, in-universe, people are still going to be asking those questions. I do think it rides this line between, yes, in-universe, these questions will be asked, but it's kind of rubbing up against audience expectations in a way that I do think is dangerous.
1: Yeah, and I hope that the audience would would think about the things we were just talking about, how Kevin was in the middle of a sex act with someone and only that person disappeared. They were occupying Mm -hmm. literally the same geography, the baby and its mother occupying literally the same geography. And I hope the audience would say, well, that's a kind of a grasping at straws thing by MIT there probably we shouldn't be assuming that this is going to lead to an answer. And the scene is not here for us to assume that we're going to get an answer. It's here for us to assume that people want there to be an answer, but they're they're even the brightest minds in the world are coming up with a solution that doesn't make any sense. Right, And so I hope that that's that's the case. I I do find it interesting because uh, I think the main thing that I'm tracking with that scene is that there is there is a belief, and that there is perhaps um, a simmering idea that yes. we could have another departure.
0: Yes, and that's great. That's great. That was one of the things of uh, when Nora's like, "What are you saying that it could happen again?" And the guy's basically like, "Yeah, man. Like, why wouldn't it happen again?" Right. Why shouldn't we be prepared for the fact that this could happen again? And that's really, I think that that's the hugest elephant in the room. Uh, the question of where did everybody go and why did they go is a biggie. But you can, in your life, rebound from that. But what happens if it happens again and now you're gone? And where did you go? Uh, So there's this simmering fear, as you called it. And I think that for perhaps this season, maybe it's going to boil over. It's something that you and I talked about at the end of last week's episode. Could a departure happen again? And I like that the show is dealing with that.
1: Yes. And – Even if the departure is not Jarden oriented, in other words, even if it didn't happen already, even if that's not what we're going to assume happened
0: with Evie and the other two girls. And I'm thinking that it's not. I'm thinking that that's a natural disaster.
1: I agree. Uh, And, or there's some, or there's some criminal uh, explanation to it. And there was also a natural disaster. Um, I don't know. Earthquake Machine from 24, the video game. Yes, something like that. Could be, could be 24, the video game crossover related. That's, that's something we should
0: definitely track. I think Uh, we should plant a flag there.
1: We definitely need to plant a flag on that uh-huh, yep. yeah. That's, what, what's that flag gonna look like
0: it's gonna look like i don't know it's just gonna say uh Chloe, we're out of time. Chloe, there's no time. There's no time. There's no flag. Chloe shows up on Brooklyn Nine-Nine this season, by the way. Okay, now we're really fa- – we're falling apart. But
1: But at any rate, I, I do think that, they're, they're, that that's not necessarily meant to be that way, but yeah. the, we're we're getting an empty car that seems to be running with music playing in it and all their stuff in it and the car is locked. It is almost like they departed right out of that car. And so this is not – it's going to be – I don't know how long it's going to take the characters before they start saying, like, maybe it was a departure like maybe it was related to that. And, and I wonder if people in Miracle are going to be willing to accept that. And this sort of exists beyond the kind of scene by scene recap. So I wanted to ask you a question, uh, that kind of is overarching throughout this. Do you believe that there is a need for Miracle, for Jarden to continue to keep the same population?
0: Mm. You mean a need in terms of keeping the numbers the same.
1: Yes, exactly. Like, are, is there a concerted effort to keep the numbers the same? Is that why people can't move in and out without approval? Is that why um that And like what's what are you saying the consequence of that is? Well, uh, three people uh, departed and three people arrived. There is a baby uh, that arrives, and so I don't know exactly where that tracks. Did somebody else depart? But is there like a homeost... Like, is there some kind of thing going on in Jarden where the population will always stay the same in that regard? And I don't. And are they trying to make it stay the same? Because as they enter into Jarden, you see that they've preserved certain things as historical landmarks. We hear the voiceover in the Jarden Visitor Center saying that. And we know from the first episode that people are are probably reenacting things that happened on the day of departure. So I think it stands to reason that they would want to keep the population exactly the same as it was.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, it's an interesting idea. And I think just from a practical standpoint, it's not like Jordan is a huge town. And if this is one of the few places, if not the only place on the planet where no departures occurred whatsoever, uh, as, as it was mentioned, a statistic impossibility, possibility, uh, a lot of people, as we've seen, would like to come here and would like to move in here. And there just have to be strict procedures in place because we can't handle all you folks.
1: Right. And that part makes sense like that. That is like, a, OK, they just don't want the town to get overrun. And that's why they're regulating the people that go in and out of it. But it seems to be a little more to me. I mean, this one of the things that was interesting to me among many in this respect is when Kevin and the Garveys are driving into the town, the road, right. the road is one way. It's only driving into, uh, it's only fit enough for one car. If you go back and watch, uh, there's only people going in. It's not like a, a people coming out kind of scenario. Visitors are coming out through shuttle buses. They're not, uh, driving cars in and out of the town. So I do wonder about this. There's a fence around the town. There's a, it's a very regulated thing. And like I said, Of course, the surface reason is it would get overrun if they didn't protect it this way. And most national parks are like this. They don't let you just set up shop in a national park. On the other hand, they seem very uh, dedicated to this population. And Like last week, for example, we had Isaac's house get burnt down, uh, and that was uh, the Eddie Winslow character.
0: Um, and apparently, the place where the Garveys were going to be renting—yes,
1: right? the same exact house, right? It's got to be, right? Yes, yeah, I think so. And so
0: was John. We did, we did have we had Eddie Winslow saying, like, "Yeah, I'm going to rent the thing upstairs." Yes. Uh, so it definitely seems like these guys were on a collision course with each other. So was John
1: motivated to burn the house down because of the magic element of uh, Isaac's quote-unquote power, or was he motivated to burn the house down because he wanted to regulate the population? Right. And that is last week. It was weird to us. That That they let that John was cool with this weird dude living on top of a tower in the middle of the town square. He even encouraged his son to you know uh, he was okay with his son feeding him whatever. Um, But why did he burn the house down when Isaac said he had a magical power? That didn't make sense. Maybe it's not because – maybe it's that he didn't burn it down because of the magical power. Maybe it's said he burned it down because he didn't want people moving
0: in. I have no, no idea. That's a good catch. I like that. I think that there's definitely something to something to track there. We'll get into the miracle of it all really quickly very soon. But first, let's, let's just wrap up some of the stuff that's happening in Mapleton. We see that Jill and Tommy still have a relationship. Even though Tommy left at the end of season one, and at this point it's two months later, he's still hanging around somewhere near Mapleton, still hanging with Laurie Garvey. What do you think is going on with the two of them?
1: I think we're going to find out next week, right? Like, I think that, um, what I understand is a large focus in next week's episode will be on those characters. Uh, and that may be why we got the, um, the teaser for the rest of the season, uh, this week, because next week may end up being a little bit less eventful episode,
0: but, um, I, Well, if it's involving Tommy as a POV character, you know, I'm in,
1: I know you're, you're not in, uh, and I, I do wonder, Tommy said he was sick. He said, I don't want to get you sick, whatever. I don't know if there's more to that. I don't know why, uh, um, why Jill is at odds with her mother? Like, why aren't they on speaking terms at this point? I, I don't know where that, where well, that because Lori all- doesn't speak. She wrote her a letter, though, right? Right. Like, yeah. Right, so yeah. And she didn't. Well, I mean,
0: they had beef from the end of season one. They had their big moment of, um, you know, the gift that falls into the into the into the grate and everything, and her going over to live with the guilty remnant and it not going over so well. So there's been bad blood between these two for a while.
1: It's true, but but when Jill needed her most, she showed up at the guilty remnant house and asked to stay there. So I I, I don't remember specifically what might have put them at odds. Maybe because maybe it's just as simple as. The Guilty Remnant did that horrible, horrible, horrible thing, uh, and th- what resulted in the aftermath from all of that was so terrible and horrific that Jill wants very little to do with her mother because she was involved in all that. Maybe right. that's just as simple as that.
0: I think it's a pe- I think that's a piece of it. I think the fact that she went to the Guilty Remnant and basically her mom chose the Guilty Remnant mission over really being a mother to Jill, right. I think that's a piece of it. I think the, the atrocities that were committed in the finale last season – big part of it and i think that jill has kind of committed herself to the new garvey family like she's really she's way on board with kevin and nora it's a real about face uh, on jill's part toward nora who she had some tension with in season one she's really team nora these days so maybe she feels like she's got a mom and she doesn't want to deal with the person who wouldn't even speak to her uh in in her time of need so i'm 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 feeling that i'm i'm good with that plus i'm team nora over team laurie every day of the week oh me too yeah much like kevin senior i like laurie but Nora's much better
1: shit i can't even remember the laurie's name is laurie so i'm obviously yeah. on team nora
0: <laughs> right yeah well team nora for days for days uh so we'll see i guess we'll see what's up with with tommy i will say anyone who listened to the season one podcast know i wasn't a big tommy garvey fan this is probably my favorite tommy garvey scene yeah, this is a good Tommy Garvey. Yeah, it's scene. a good. It's it's just a quiet, quick Tommy Garvey scene. He's got other stuff to do, and he is out of the picture pretty quick. I don't know if I'm on board for a full-fledged Tommy episode in season two. We're on a really good path right now, really good pace right now, and hopefully he's not going to upset the thing too much. But I'm interested. Let's see where it goes. This season's been really good so far, so I'm I'm on board for giving it a try at least.
1: Yeah, well, me too. And I I think that it makes more sense that Joe would be in contact with Tommy and that they would be on decent terms than it is that they would be on no terms. Like I think that this makes a little bit more sense for me.
0: Right, right, right. All right. Let's get into the fact that Kevin Sr. He's out of the loony bin. He is not no longer hearing the voices. He's just doing what they want him to do, is what he says. And he's going to Australia. That's another Australia reference, two episodes in a row.
1: Yeah, you can't you, we can we can't ignore that. And that that came up in Reza Eslan, as we talked about on last week's podcast, the sort of theologian who is advising uh, the writing staff of the leftovers. He talks about that, and he talks about how Australia has always been this kind of mystical, interesting place. The concept of the walkabout comes up. Um, there is definitely a connection to Damon Lindelof's previous work uh, with the walkabout, obviously. Yeah. So that comes up a little bit, uh, and it isn't clear if maybe because of the departure people are – sort of feeling drawn to australia uh because of all the mystical properties that people believe that australia has that that seems entirely possible um there may be a more obvious or interesting connection or something else newsworthy that comes out of this australia thing but i think it's worth paying attention every time we hear australia brought up
0: yeah more and more i'm thinking that this takes place in the lost universe and that may the, left- the leftovers is secretly lost too
1: well, and so it begs the question: Like, uh, was the incident with Oceanic uh, departure? Like, we don't yeah, know. Yeah, maybe. So, anyway, we bit. don't want to get the two of us getting into that. That
0: could be a mm-hmm. real rabbit hole, Josh. I don't think and we have three weeks, do we? No, we don't have three weeks. We don't even really have like thirty minutes right now. Okay, so, <laughs> so let's just let's just keep going. Let's <laughs> should, just keep going. We should skip past, but I thought that was interesting, and obviously this starts to bring up the idea for Kevin uh, when he's hearing that his dad is going to Australia. He's like, maybe I could leave. Maybe I could get out of here. We get that great scene in the restaurant uh, with the with the pasta with the sauce on the side, and it's a little too al dente. What was the what was the exact phrasing of that? Brittle
1: brittle bite or something? Brittle yeah, to the bite so, with the,
0: with the brittleness to the bite. Yes. Yeah, she ordered it without the brittleness to the bite. Technically not a substitution. Uh, I thought that but, was very but technically very funny.
1: a freaking like uh, oh my gosh, that's the I can't believe she did that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that was very ballsy. I liked it. it was can good you just bread. hammer my pasta, please? Can you just yeah. make it just like liquid? Can you just, just liquefy really it? Really cook it? Just yeah, cook it all cook the, the crap way. Crap out of it. I, listen, al dente is the way to go. But you could not. You don't have to say the brittleness to the bite. That's well, very I
1: mean, they were in a pretentious restaurant.
0: It is a pretentious restaurant. But he's saying do you want to get out of here, and so we're going to go to Miracle. How do you think? What do you think the conversation was like? Of how are we going to Miracle National Park? Why did we settle on this place?
1: Well, I I don't know if you caught this, but like earlier in the episode. um Nora is saying, oh, look, look what my brother sent, the baby, and it's a uh, jumper, uh, like a onesie from Miracle. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, right. and and that was a very little thing, but I think that that's where, really where the, the seed comes from. It's just like, well, Matt's there already. He's saying good things about this place. We're just going to give it a shot. Yeah, and it's a shot. It's all that, all that's intended is that they're going to give it a shot. They're not. Oh
0: yeah, it's a rental.
1: It's a six month thing,
0: right? <laughs> it's a rental. Yeah, this isn't a purchase. We're not buying land in in Texas. Come on, that's crazy. <laughs> wow, we're not spending all of our money on a house in a place we've never Whoa. been to before. Let's talk about that. Uh, that yeah. does happen. About that, about that. Okay, so they're going to Miracle, and then we get this great scene that you were talking about before, sort of this montage of of what it looks like for everybody who's coming into Miracle and the big, long line that it takes to get into the place and sort of the culture. It's like a music festival outside the gates uh, of just all these hippies playing music and selling stuff and living together and people who are coming up to the car being like, hey, I'll buy a wristband, I'll buy a wristband. Total music festival culture.
1: Yeah, it's really funny. You it's you, you funny. definitely you definitely see that. You've got your RVs and people passing things around and people trying to get better access and on and on and on. Yeah,
0: yeah. There's some bad red licorice going around. Let me just tell you that.
1: <laughs> Please do not eat the bad red rope licorice.
0: Yeah, there's some bad stuff going around. Holy Wayne stock is a holy Wayne stock is your
1: hashtag. <laughs> it's All a right. opportunity.
0: That's pretty good. Uh, but you you had some interesting observations uh, that you were telling me offline. I wasn't paying as much attention to this scene as you were. Uh, I think you've even you've seen the episode twice now at this. point. I did watch it twice. You're a crazy person. All right. So tell me what you saw. Tell me what you saw. This was really good stuff. I think everyone. Was like to listen
1: to. i'm trying to remember what exactly i texted you but i will well, you say, texted me a picture yeah there is a picture and this is not this wasn't my observation uh this <laughs> this is being hotly debated i think as we speak on reddit uh there was a picture of the entrance to miracle uh and the sign it, there's a there's a screenshot where where the Garveys are first pulling in and the uh, the 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 gate is opening up yeah. for them, and the the bar is up. Then uh, someone named uh, HBO and Fatty F A T T I, dude, uh, I love that. That's did it great. Is that say what
0: HBO and Fatty? HBO and Fatty,
1: which is how like the new Netflix and
0: Chill. It is a new
1: Netflix. Well, we're not going to go there. You just
0: watch HBO and eat.
1: Oh, I was thinking you watch HBO and smoke a spliff. Like that okay. could also be
0: the case, no, you know, not What I was thinking that's not what I was
1: thinking. Well, anyway, uh, miracle, the sign that's over the entrance to miracle, uh, looks very similar, unfortunately. Cool. Uh, and with the gate, uh, as to the sign that's over Auschwitz, um, yes. and not good, not a great, uh, not a great look. Uh, I believe that the sign that's over Auschwitz, uh, the German translation was like work will set you free or something. Uh, work sets you free. And I don't know if that's a, if there's a leftovers connection there or not. Um, but uh, it is interesting because uh, that, I don't, that is not a good comparison. I don't no,
0: know. That's a terrible comparison, yeah. but it's an, it's an interesting one. You know, if it's if it's intentional, you know, and there was this comment last week of like everything we're doing on this show is intentional. You should read into everything. All right, so let's read into this. There is this really compelling side-by-side image of what it looks like to roll up into Miracle and what it looks like to go to Auschwitz, uh, the concentration camp. And it's scary. It's a scarily, eerily uh, resemblant image, these two things contrasted together. So what does that mean if we're reading into that? Like, What are the connotations of Miracle as this place that's supposed to be this holy land, but is it really a death trap?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, that's it. And I think that the the idea that, you know, you're greeted with this message of work sets you free. Well, no, it doesn't really. Like this is where your life ends and you don't get any freedom out of this right. whatsoever. Uh, and I think the idea is, okay, you're going into this place that claims to be a miracle and you're, you're walking through, you're literally passing under a gate with a message on it. And this message is miracle, 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 miracle. Maybe it's not supposed to, maybe it's not a miracle. Maybe right. it's not what people think it is. And I think more than anything, that's the message I'm getting is like, Look, the, the message might say one thing, but what you're really going to get is is a lot different. And, of course, I think that that's, that's already kind of prescient and that's already kind of top of mind because of what we saw in Episode 1. Uh, we saw that this place that is seemingly holy has some dark secrets, um, yeah. like uh, John's John's anti-magic squad, if you will. Uh, and things that are going on there, people excluded, uh, people treated very negatively, people living very regimented lives uh, because they live in a national park. And then what happens with Evie uh, is a horrible thing that happens and right. certainly not a miracle by any stretch. It's a terrible occurrence. And so I think that that is – it's sort of like, hey, you, you might be expecting a whole lot out of this place, but you're going to get something that is truly not special and not a miracle. And that's yeah. dark.
0: That's really dark. And it's sad because the Garvey's have been in kind of a light space, you know, notwithstanding the whole seeing visions of the person who committed suicide in front of you and then you buried her and then you unburied her and you presented her to the cops and the cops were like, eh, whatever. You know, if you take all of that away from it, things are going pretty well for the Garvey's right now. And now they're going to roll up to Miracle thinking that all their problems are going to be solved, and it's actually just going to be a whole lot worse. That's really sad. That's a bummer, but that's also The Leftovers.
1: Yeah, that's true. It is also The Leftovers. So it's, yeah. it's, it's to- perfectly in keeping with, uh, with I think, what we, what we know from this show.
0: Yeah. All right. So we see that Patty's going to stay with the dog, or at least she offers to. Uh, we, we, we roll into miracle. You have to put the dog in a 60 day quarantine. That's horrible. That's really tough. And Kevin gets to say goodbye to his dog and Patty is there with him and says, I'll stay with him if you want. Maybe he'll effing talk to me. Uh, and Kevin is still not talking to Patty at this point.
1: Yeah. And I'm, this is a good time to bring this up, I guess, as good a time as any. Uh, Josh, Kevin Garvey, is he crazy or is this, uh, or is this something spiritual?
0: What do you think? I mean, I I just asked you what do you think. I know we've deba- we've debated this a lot in in the season one podcast. You know, it's something that this show could be going toward that route. It could be something where there's a little bit of a supernatural thing going on, or it could be a practical. Kevin is just losing his mind. There's a family flaw that's going on here with the Garveys, or the Garveys are both chosen people. I don't really know. My guess is. We'll probably never know for sure. This doesn't seem like the type of show that would ever give us a concrete answer on whether or not he's crazy or something else could be going on. I'd love to be proven wrong, but I don't know what that looks like. Um, My impulse is that I guess maybe I'm a little more man of science on the thing. Like I kind of think that he's just a little bit of a nut and maybe Patty is just a manifestation of that but there could be something else going on. I really, I don't have a great read on it yet. I'm not, and I'm not uninterested in it, but I guess I'm not heavily invested in it in either direction. I'm I'm willing to roll with the show and however the show lets this one unfold.
1: Yeah, and I think what's really interesting about that is the Holy Wayne thing. We had the same kind of question about Holy Wayne in the first season, and we we is he a liar? Is he a charlatan? Or is he a, is he a fraud? Or whatever? Right. But he hugged Nora, and it it had an impact. And there were other people who he hugged that it truly had an impact on. And so whether or not he was a charlatan, it's the sort of John Edward kind of thing, uh, the crossing over John Edward, not the uh, John Edward the uh, philandering former candidate for president. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's really. It's this sort of thing where it's like, does it really matter if it's a lie or not? If it makes people feel better, uh, then mission accomplished. And I think that that's sort of what we're dealing with with kevin is like is he a shaman uh this this comes from the the race aslan article and i think it's on point It's that the question that was asked by vulture.com and we'll link this in the show notes is when kevin senior is released from the mental institution he says he's now doing what the voices say so was he quote unquote crazy pre-departure uh were the kevin's chosen before or after and races says that's a very good question and he laughs and he says is a shaman chosen or made. Most primitive tribes believe shamanism and even prophecy is a hereditary condition. It wasn't just Moses that was a prophet. His brother Aaron was as well. Jesus has this prophetic nature, but according to his followers, so did his brother James. Muhammad was a prophetic figure, uh, but the first Muslims truly believed that his prophecy existed in the family line. So his nephew Ali and his grandsons are also carrying this ability. And the ability of shamanism is passed on from father to son in almost every religious tradition. And so the thing is, as Reza Esland says, the fascinating thing about mental illness is that it's also hereditary. Yeah, And, yeah, and, and that's I, great. And you know, we don't, we weren't around in 1000 uh, A.D. or you know, uh, 50 B.C. or whenever some of these other people were populating the earth.
0: Or uh, so we would like our listeners to think.
1: Yes, exactly. Well, I've always been here. Yeah. Yes, it's like the Overlook Hotel, Josh. I've yes. just been kind of here since 1920.
0: But midnight. Da, 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 da.
1: <laughs> but what I would, but I mean, I've I've often thought about this. Nowadays, when we see somebody telling us what they think Jesus is saying to us on the street corner, and they have a long beard, we think they're totally nuts. You know, we just ascribe complete insanity to them. But what if they're prophets? Like, how, right. how would we identify a true prophet nowadays? I mean, it, we, it would really get lost in the noise and we would obviously put them in a mental institution. So I'm not uh, taking a broadside against all religion and saying all former prophets are all people that we assign spiritual leadership to were crazy people or were, you know, had uh, mental health issues but I, you know, that is, that's out there. Uh, and, and we don't know if that's what's happening with Kevin or not. Um, is he losing his mind or is he having a spiritual experience? And I think that that's sort of the central question of Kevin Garvey really more than anything. And I don't know where that all goes, but I think that all of the things that things that are happening to him can be read through either of those lenses. And I actually think we don't do enough. We, as the viewers of the show, we don't do enough to read it through the spiritual lens. We only read it through the crazy person lens. And I hate to say the mental health issues lens, we only read it through that lens. And I think that there's a possibility that there's something religious Going on with
0: Kevin. Yeah. My guess is that the show will continue to dance with that question. I think that it's one of the things that the show is the most interested in talking about is this intersection between uh, faith and lunacy. Uh, You know, faith and just like being over the line out of your head. And I think that, you know, there are some people who are who are really anti-religion or anti-faith or whatever, who would really also be very quick to just chalk that all up to craziness. Uh, and, you know, there's there's the other reflection of, of that as well. So I think that that's something that the show is really interested in exploring, has been from the beginning, and that's why I don't think that we'll ever get a really concrete answer until maybe closer to the end of the thing.
1: No, yeah, um, I these are the central questions in our, yeah. the way we look at and the And I like world.
0: that. I, I like the ambiguity. I think that that's something good, and I know that a lot of people who uh, have experienced Damon Lindelof Off's work in the past, don't love that ambiguity with him. But I think that it's interesting and I, I like that it's it's left up to interpretation.
1: It's, I, I honestly think it plays a lot better on this show, which has maybe I, I somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 120th of the viewers have Lost. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it plays a lot better in this world. I think it's okay for this show to be ambiguous. I think on a big network... They've drama, done a really
0: that, good job with that. Yeah, yeah
1: that delivers... The, the Listen, the the rational versus spiritual kind of debate, the man of science versus man of faith, that is the sort of undermined under, a debate that underpins almost everything we go through uh, culturally in society, in the world, in all different societies. And the, the Reza Aslan talks about in the article about this week that you could, you, they've, they've given brain scans to the people who, sees them, who see themselves as shamans. And they show very similar patterns to people who are schizophrenic. Uh, and racist says, if you're a rationalist, you think there's no such thing as a shaman. They're just crazy. If you're a spiritualist, you would say there's a very fine line between crazy and shaman, and it's all about interpretation and context. And I think that's where this show really uh, really does its work. I think yeah. it builds its house in that little ambiguity. Uh, and at, like you, I agree that the ambiguity is done very well here. And so Kevin is seeing, hearing voices uh, like his father. He's seeing Patty. Uh, what is happening with that? Is it, is it the spirit world? Is it spiritual? We don't know.
0: Well, I know that you and I, we were a little worried about Ann Dowd still being part of the show, about Patty still being a part of it, and how is that going to play out throughout season two, before the show started. So far, one episode of Patty in, I think it's been pretty interesting. So I I I like it. Uh, She's a great actress. Ann Dowd is fantastic. She's really good in this role, and I think it's a really interesting look at Kevin, and I'm glad that the show is continuing to explore it. So we're really just the tip of the iceberg this season with that stuff right now, and I think it's going to get very interesting the further along we get. You talked about building a house. Let's talk about buying Buying a house. We're gonna buy a house because the Eddie Winslow apartment has burned down. The Garveys are gonna have nowhere to live here in Miracle unless they buy this house. And Nora really kicks it up to eleven when she buys the house for three million bucks. Yeah, it's great. All, sale, all sales fine. She's is going, it great. She's great. going
1: all in. I mean, I I appreciate this about Nora Durst. She's lost just everything that she had. I mean, literally everything. Her whole family departed. But part of the reason I think she hires prostitutes to shoot her is because She was very angry with her family at that time. Her husband was cheating on her. Her kids were being really annoying to her. And I think she carries around a lot of guilt for that and wants to kind of actually feel the pain she needs to feel for losing those people. And I think she's had a lot of issues with that. So I appreciate this all-in nature of Nora Durst. If you'll recall the end of season one when she goes to uh, Kevin's doorstep to get the baby, she was actually writing him a Dear Kevin letter. She was ready to go.
0: She was bouncing. She was leaving.
1: And it's funny because she says to Kevin in this episode, my luggage is already in my car. And Kevin doesn't say, like, why was your luggage in the car? Like, where were you going? Uh, It's just kind of glossed over and we're we're all in on Nora Durst. I love Nora Durst. So so, oh, she's the greatest. I, I love this. I just, I love it. It's like, at this point, what do you have to lose if you're Nora Durst? Like, go for it.
0: Well, what you have to lose is you are spending all of your money on a house in the middle of Texas that might be like a scary, crazy cult town that you know very little about and have never really set foot inside of when you could instead choose the fact that your rental is burned down as a sign that maybe you should live somewhere else and you could move to like, I don't know, Hawaii or somewhere beautiful and awesome.
1: Yeah, but if you do that, you're still carrying around with you everything that happened before. Better to give the $3 million up and try something completely different uh, and actually try for a miracle uh, than it is to accept the, the sort of continual uh nature of your existence that doesn't do that yeah and i think that that's i think that that's really where Nora durst sat's like i you know i know what's on the other side the other side is me hiring prostitutes to shoot myself Uh the other side (laughs) is me not having a family the other side is me not having any semblance of anything normal or any kind of embrace of anything potentially great because of everything that went before my brother is here if you guys want to be here i'm all in
0: Right. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I thought it was questionable.
1: It is questionable, but I, I I I I hear the question and I accept the answer.
0: Okay. Sounds good. Uh so they're going to buy it. Kevin is kind of more where I'm coming from. He's not thrilled with this choice.
1: Yeah, but Kevin Kevin is really kind of – I think Kevin is really running from a lot of stuff still. And I think Kevin is like the, looking for a geographic solution, a temporary one. Like maybe this will work. Maybe right. this will help shout down my demons and keep the voices in my head quiet. Like my iPod is what I'm using now, and it's not working. So maybe this will work. Um, and I think Kevin is – there's a lot more trepidation in Kevin because Kevin doesn't really know what his issues are. I think Nora is more at peace with what her issues are, and she understands them better. And I do think that what happened with the guilty remnant and the real dolls gave her her a lot more clarity on on what she needs for emotional happiness uh, than it did for Kevin. Kevin is still really caught up and Nora recognizes that obviously and says, I can help you. I want to take it on, but he doesn't want any part of that.
0: Right. Um, you brought up the iPod, and I think we, we didn't touch on it earlier, uh, but he is listening to Where Is My Mind by the Pixies, famously used in Fight Club with the Tyler Durden reveal, Um, or at least it's from Fight Club with the big Tyler Durden aspect of it. It was also used in another summer show, another popular show that I will not name, but if you watched the show, you will know what we were talking about for uh, a, a twist that's very similar to the Fight Club type of thing. What did you think about that? What Did you think that was a deliberate use of Where Is My Mind?
1: Yeah, I mean, not necessarily because of Fight Club. I think that the other example you were just kind of hinting at is a lot more on point with that. I think the lyrics are, where is my mind? And I think that if you, I mean, first of all, I love the freaking Pixies. So anytime you want to put the Pixies in uh, into a soundtrack, I'm on board with any explanation of any of it. Uh, and that's fine with me. But I think that just the the very on point definition uh, or the, the words from the song, um, I think are are really good, uh, and I think that if you if you look at uh, kind of. What Kevin is up to, he's also listening to dubstep. He's listening to music that – Anything loud. Yeah, it's
0: probably not helping uh, what he's getting
1: into. You know what I mean? He's like, trying
0: to drown out the sound.
1: Yeah, he's trying to drown out the sound. And, but when, he, when you drown it out with Where Is My Mind, I don't know that, um, I don't know that it's, it's, going, it's going very well. Like, uh, I, I just think that it's, it's really uh, really interesting to see how that all plays out.
0: Yeah, great song. I loved that popping in. I thought that whole sequence was really, really strong. Uh, but it, it's, it's appropriate to talk about now because we do, we move to the house and Kevin is exploring it and Patty shows up and just like beats the crap out of him. Um, you know, he, he almost burns himself on the, or he does burn himself on the gas stove, but after that she shows up, she smashes his head into the thing, she smashes him into a wall. That's how we see that he has the cuts, uh, from the premiere. Um, so, you know, whether or not he's doing this to himself or there is some spirit there that is beating the snot out of him, again, shrug your shoulders and say, take it, you know, whichever way you want to take it for now. Uh, But this is now starting to become a thing that is physically impossible to ignore. He's starting to suffer physical consequences of what's going on.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's funny because I think the song, Where's My Mind, is a little bit about scuba diving. Uh, at least that was sort of what inspired it. Uh, and there are physical consequences to that 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 aspect. And if you look at the lyrics of uh, the first lyrics of the song, is like, with your feet on the air and your head on the ground, uh, try this trick and spin it. Your head will collapse when there's nothing in it. And you'll ask yourself, Where's My Mind? And it's like, there are going to be physical consequences to Kevin uh, not really getting a grip on what's going on. And he's going to feel disoriented and there may be actually are going to be actual physical consequences not only with the head getting slammed but also with the cinder block yeah yeah and which is yeah. A, which is an underwater kind of thing as well and so
0: there's an interesting connection there that's great i like that a lot uh so we get to see the the birthday party from the perspective of kevin and we get this really interesting line from patty who's saying it's hard to tell if the murphy's a part of your story or if you're part of theirs
1: yeah. And that's very meta, like you said. So it's like, uh, I don't know. I don't love that line as much as other people do. Um I mean, obviously, there's a lot to unpack there that you could unpack there. But uh, I think really on the surface, it's just kind of like, okay, I don't exactly know what we're doing here, but um, we're going to see how this all plays out.
0: Right. Yeah. And from there, you know, we we get into a lot of the stuff that we've already talked about. They go back to the house. The house is a, is a shit pile and the light bulbs break and Kevin has his freak out and Nora gets upset. And Jill basically says, please don't mess this up. You are showing some serious potential of screwing this whole thing up. And Kevin apologizes. Nora accepts it. Things seem to be going well. And then you wake up at the bottom of a dried out lake with a cinder block attached to your ankle like you do.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's really. It just, just happens.
0: It's pretty basic stuff.
1: <laughs> and he's wearing yeah. a different. Like he's shirtless when he goes to sleep, and when we see him next, he's wearing a white shirt and khakis. I'm not quite a guilty remnant outfit, but also not that far from it.
0: Is that what he, is he wearing khakis? I, I I don't remember. I know that he's like covered in sediment.
1: You yeah, know, so maybe like, they're not khakis. Maybe they're white pants that got dirty.
0: Yeah, they're really, it gets really nasty. Whatever happened to him was, was no bueno. But we've seen this kind of thing happen with Kevin before where he has had these blackout periods. And we get to see the scenes filled in later on where he was like an active participant in life during the times that he was conked out. Um, so I'm really eager to see what got him to that moment. I know that we'll see it. They won't not show us that. They I have agree. To. Yeah, I agree uh, completely. And we're going and to see what, how that works yeah, out. Yeah, whatever it is is going to be really golden.
1: It's Kevin out. tying a cinder block to his own ankle and jumping in the water. <laughs> like, I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. probably what's going to happen. And I'm okay with that. Um, But I think that that's probably what it was. But, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I think that, that uh, it's not going to go well because he's – I don't know if Patty's uh-oh. Like that
0: yeah.
1: – yeah, that's not good. <laughs>
0: No, my. Not good. Yeah, it was good. I like that. And yeah, as you said, after this episode, we don't get a traditional next time on the leftovers. We get a this season on the leftovers. And I think that that's particularly poignant because I feel like this episode feels like part two of the premiere. You know, this episode really feels like it's the yin to the yang of the first episode, and I feel like these two really work together very, very well as a piece. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really like getting the Garvey perspective. I loved meeting the Murphys last week. I think those are really great characters, compelling characters, but the Garveys are great, too, and it was a really nice reminder that where we left them at the end of season one of The Leftovers was a really interesting spot, and it's carrying over just as strong here in season two, at least the start.
1: Yeah, and this was the right episode order, by the way. I think starting yes, with Miracle definitely. and exposing us to this town and making us making it more about this sense of place and the people that live in it. I think that was way better than if we would have just started with the Garveys and walked in in a more traditional
0: way. Yeah, I agree completely. Really smart. All right, anything else from this episode before we wrap up? Two rapid fire questions for Let's you. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay,
1: one. Did you notice they li- they lingered on a shot of Holy Lily touching the pie?
0: No, I didn't notice that. Yes. I, you know, come to think of it, yeah. They, yeah, she she was coming at that pie a little bit.
1: They lingered on a shot of Holy Lily touching the pie. If the pie was poisoned, did she fix it? Did she cure did she, it? She fixed the pie. I don't know. I'm if just she, saying. If
0: she hugs the pie, then she fixed
1: it. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe the, maybe maybe Holy Lily doesn't have to hug. Maybe she can just touch. I mean, okay. it was so it was so weird to me that they showed that happening uh, because. It was weird to me last week where John was super concerned the pie was poisoned, right. uh, concerned enough that he delivered it to his next door neighbors. <laughs> right. And then when it came time for his birthday, and they're like, "Let's go get the pie," he had kind of look on his face like, "I don't want to eat that pie." I don't uh, want to eat but the pie. but nothing happened. We didn't see what happened with that. And then this week we see them getting the pie and the baby touches it. So unless you want to blame the pie for the earthquake, well, that's what I was going to ask you. Is the pie does the pie have anything to do with what happens with Kevin? Like maybe that's. Where's my pie? Maybe that's where is my pie? (laughs) So then the only other question I had from this episode was what's the, what's going to happen with Mary? What's going to happen with Matt's wife? Something's going to happen with her, right? She's not just going to sit there catatonic the entire time.
0: Right. Well, I hate to break it to you. I still haven't watched the West wing. I remember Um, that this was a point of contention when we were doing leftovers the last time And this character, Mary Matt's wife is uh, the actress who plays her. Janelle Maloney is from the West wing, a, a favorite show of yours. Yeah.
1: Maybe, maybe, um, maybe my favorite show, I think.
0: Yeah. And you, you had said at the time, like, you don't just cast that person to play a character that doesn't do much.
1: Nope. And we, uh, we had a hint in the first episode that she's right. gotten better since she got there. They, Matt was cut off from saying truly what had happened, but right. something's going to happen with Mary.
0: You gotta there's imagine. There's something, something about Mary. There's something about Mary. We haven't seen much of it yet. You know, the Matt episode has to be coming up sometime in the nearish future. What got Matt to miracle? Uh, and what miracles may have unfolded for Matt since he's been there? And I'm sure Mary will be very, very deeply tied up into that. But yeah, they keep talking about how Mary's doing better. And granted, she's like, in a wheelchair, and she's not just bedridden and everything, and she's you know able-bodied enough to move across the country to Texas. That is definitely an improvement, but we're not seeing her walking and talking and having a bubbling personality, right? Yeah, not like that, that much better. So not that much better. So we'll we'll see. You know, jury's still out on what's going on.
1: With yeah, her. jury's still out. Jury's still out on a lot. I, I'm gonna I want to rewatch the first two episodes, sort of in, in harmony, to see if if there are any differences, even in in slight differences in the same scenes we saw. I did like that we saw in the first episode. Kevin kind of staring off into the abyss in John's house, and he says, "Oh, we had the same living room." I'm guessing he probably saw Patty there, right? Like, or yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that. Uh, so, knowing what we know from episode two, I really like seeing. I want to watch episode one again. So, yeah, uh, I'm going to do that uh, before we get into episode three next week. Uh, I would encourage anyone else who's really on board with us to do the same thing if they can. I think there'll be some rewards there. But other than that, I think we've covered this episode.
0: Yeah, I think we've covered it thoroughly. All right, if you made it this far, I think it's hashtag Holy Wayne stock. Holy Wayne stock. That's what got we want to hear. Got all the permits lined up. That's what we want to hear from you. Stay away from that red rope licorice. It's bad. Bad. Uh, tweet that our way. Antonio is at A.C. Mazar with two Z's, one R. I'm at Round Howard. We'll talk to you again next week when the Leftovers comes back for episode three. Make sure you're subscribed. Postshowrecaps.com slash Leftovers iTunes. And if you want to hear more stuff that Antonio and I are working on, we've got a bunch of podcasts in the mix. We're doing most shows recapped on Fridays typically. It's our new podcast with says Nino, where we're covering as many shows as humanly possible. It's a really fun time, so make sure you're listening out For those, you can do the post-show reca- recaps.com slash iTunes and subscribe to everything that's coming up there. We also have a Fargo podcast that's going to be launching soon. We released a preview episode of Season 2 over the weekend, so go track that down. That's with Jeremiah Panhorse, Mike Bloom, and Kurt Clark. They're doing their Once Upon a Time podcast, so basically everything is happening. So many podcasts happening on post-shows. It's happening. It's, it's a happening. miracle, Josh. It's a miracle it really truly is all right everybody we'll talk to you again next week leftovers podcast returning one week from today take care everybody bye bye